Good morning. Good to see everybody. We have a rather unique service, but before we get into that, two quick announcements. One of them is that our greeting ministry needs more folks. So I'm going to share with you the qualifications. Are you smiley and nice? All right, good. You're qualified. Now, let me clarify one thing. If you are smiley and nice, but yet you're an axe murderer, I would like you to leave your axe at home. You're still on the team. Don't, I'm not going to, you know, we're not trying to like shove you off, but, but just leave your axe at home. All right. We want folks to be a part of this ministry because it is one of the most amazing ways to make the church feel smaller. You start to see a bunch of familiar faces. You're part of the teams. You're serving alongside everyone else. It is actually one of the uh, easiest options of service in terms of commitment because we have all of our greeters serving one service per month. One ser- not one weekend, one service per month. So this is something you can kind of get into and kind of feel out how things are going. If you're brand new, it's a perfect place for you to serve. So I encourage you to go on out into the lobby after the service and sign up for that. Second quick announcement is that we're going to be talking about suffering today, and I'm not going to answer all your questions. There's going to be so much more that's going to be stimulated in your heart that we actually have Pastor Matt Bach, who is our uh, pastor of spiritual development. He is going to be leading a class once a month, and it's just a drop-in. There's no registration. And it is starting next Sunday from two to four. You'd go out, grab a bite to eat, come on back in. You don't need to sign up for anything, register for anything. There's more information on the website, but you can come in for a two hour class. It's more interactive. It's more in depth than what we're going to cover here. So there we go. Those are the two commercials. You ready to get into it? All right. Take out your Bibles. Take out the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door and we can begin. We are in part three of our Knowing God series through the book of Job, and I entitled today's message, The Darkest Night, and we're going to talk about when good people suffer, and when good people suffer terribly. This is the year of wisdom, right? So 2018, the year of wisdom, where we're going to be flipping things upside down, unpacking things, blowing things up, challenging how you may look at things in the specific series of Knowing God. We're going to say we probably don't know God as well as we should. There's a lot of things that we're assuming about him that are not true. In the same way, the world and how he created it is probably not like we think it is. So we're going to be challenging one after another all these assumptions. And we're certainly going to do that today in the issue of suffering. So here's the $20 million question everybody wants to know. It's in every Ask Pastor Lance. It's in every... Uh, radio show that I do, it's all over the place. Here we go. Why would a good and all-powerful God let his children suffer the way that we do, right? Isn't that what we all want to know? Why would a good and all-powerful God allow his children, us, to suffer as we do? Now, I'm going to answer that question. As a matter of fact, we're going to kick off the whole message by answering that question, and it's not going to take very long. The answer is rather simple. But wow, it is not satisfying. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I'll give you the answer because you want the answer, but I'm not going to be happy with the answer uh, because then we'll get into the complications of what it means in a moment. But let me let me kind of kick things off with a the greatest no duh statement of the year. All right. 
I don't know if you're familiar with these, but I'm going to give you something that you're going to say, well, no duh, pastor. All right, here we go. Suffering is real. Hey, no duh. Thank you, Pastor Lance. I appreciate that. I came all the way to church to hear that. Suffering is real. Here's why I say that. There's a book called Why, uh, How Long, O Lord, by D.A. Carson on reflections of sin and suffering. And he said this quote, I thought it was powerful. He said, all we have to do is live long enough and we will be bereaved. All we have to do is live long enough and we will die. In a fallen world, these points are immutable, yet grief and pain always catches us unaware. We know we're not immune, but there's a suppressed hope that pretends we are. Isn't it fascinating that we are all quite aware that death statistics are still hovering at 100%, right? (laughs) And yet when someone passes away, we're like, what? Right? It always happens. But we try to believe and pretend in our hearts that that's for other people, not for us. Well, it is. How do we wrestle with that? That's what we're going to dive into a lot more. So here's how today's message is going to go. Start out with a why real quick. Then we're going to jump into the depth of Job's suffering. If we do not understand the depth of his suffering, we don't understand why this is such an example for us. We all say phrases like, yeah, 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 Job suffered a ton. No, no, no. you don't understand how deep it was. You don't understand how heavy it was. Once you understand and make it personal, you go, oh my goodness, this guy is better than I thought he was, but wow, what he went through, I can relate. We're going to go through that. And then right when we're super sad, (laughs) right? Right when we all want to crawl in a hole and say, I wish I wouldn't have come to church. Right at that moment, we're going to flip the script and we're going to bring in incredible hope and help. And we're going to be talking about things that God has revealed to us. And we are going to transform the way that we think about suffering. As I lay out 10 things that we know that Job did not know. And the reasons why our suffering should never go to the depth of his suffering because of what God has revealed. So in the very end, we are going to pray all together as a family over those that are suffering. That is the entirety of the message. You ready to do it? All right, let's do that. Here's the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you because it basically is an important premise on which everything I'm going to say is hinged. Here's your fill in the blank. Things happen that God hates. Things happen that God hates. How do we know that? Because the Bible is very clear that not everyone's going to heaven. Yes. And yet the Bible says it is God's will that none shall perish, but all have eternal life. God's not cool with them going to hell. God is not okay with the suffering of his people. God is not all right with what wounds you. God doesn't like it. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks about God hates sin and yet sin is around. Things happen that God hates, we automatically assume whenever something bad happens in our lives that somehow we're going to go blame God for it. I think we're looking the wrong direction. God is our one and only help. If we think he's the problem, we'll run the other direction and then we have no help anywhere. That we cannot do. So why is there so much suffering if God hates it? Why 
does an all-powerful and loving God allow us to suffer the way that we do? Here's your answer. You ready? Sin. Ta-da! Does everybody feel better? And it's like, oh, now I get it. No, 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 no. Let's, let's break it down a little bit. You, you might want to write these formulas down, right? There's just four simple formulas. They're easy to write down. Write this down. Evil equals suffering. Evil equals suffering. Second one is sin equals death. How do we know that? Because the Bible says sin equals death. Okay, so far we're doing good. That's Romans 6.23. By the way, death is a wonderful reminder that we are not God. Have you noticed that? We live our whole lives as if we're God, and then we get frail, and we go, oh no, we're not God. Nice reminder. All right, moving on. Number three, rebellion equals pain. Rebellion equals pain. And then the last one, brokenness equals a dangerous world. Brokenness equals a dangerous world. Remember, both the inhabitants of the earth are broken and the earth is broken. Therefore, sin accounts for both tsunamis and child abuse. Do you understand what I'm saying? Meaning all the way across the board, we are in a broken system. When Adam and Eve said no to God, we broke our world and our world has been dangerous ever since. It's not how God wanted it. God created us in a very perfect, utopian, beautiful paradise called the Garden of Eden. We said we want to do it another way. When you do it another way, you walk into danger. That's not what God wanted. God wanted obedience and God wanted blessing and God wanted to be able to love on his kids. God wanted a lot of laughter. God wanted a lot of joy. This is what God is about. God's nature is blessing and glorious. We chose other. Let's be very careful on who we're blaming, right? All right, so in order to understand, because some of our personalities say this, great, so you're telling me that all my suffering's my fault, right? So you're saying that sin causes suffering. Pastor, I'm in a wheelchair, and you're trying to tell me this is my fault? I didn't do this. I didn't create cerebral palsy. I didn't handle all this stuff. Don't try to pin that back on me. Hold on. Did I say it was your sin that caused it? I did not. I don't care whether it was Lucifer's sin that led mankind to sin, which broke our world, or whether or not it's our own individual sin. My point is, in God, there is no sin. And when God was running the show, everything was awesome. When sin came in, everything broke. That's what I'm telling you. All right, in order to illustrate this a little bit better, I'm going to pull one more piece from D.A. Carson's book. And he tells us, through one example of suffering, through the example of poverty, about how multifaceted suffering can be in terms of cause. All right, so you might want to write these down. Here's what he's saying. Can we all agree that poverty can lead to suffering? Poverty can lead to suffering. Now, you may need to picture, for example, uh, the little babies that are dying on the streets that have the distended stomachs, right? They don't have food. They're dying. Okay, so you can picture right there, Poverty can equal suffering. Yeah. But is it always the same cause? Here's what he's going to do. He's going to give us six different types of suffering through poverty so we can understand. Here we go. Number one, 
what he calls the unfortunate poor. The unfortunate poor. What does he mean? Hurricane Katrina. Nobody caused that. A massive storm came in and wiped out a big old chunk of our nation. Nobody was responsible for that. But now all these thousands of people are left destitute and they have no way to make up for it. They are now poor because of something that nobody intended, right? That's the first one, the unfortunate poor. Second one, the oppressed poor. This is Uganda. This is Rwanda. This is malicious oppression. In other words, in Africa, the continent is beautiful. The continent is thriving with resources. The continent is extraordinary. But bad guys are stealing people's stuff and they don't have any money. They don't have any food. It's all there, but bad guys are wrecking it directly. That is the oppressed poor. Number three, the lazy poor. The lazy poor. Now, these are just simply folks that say, I am not interested in doing the necessary work or preparation by which to provide for myself, so I have less and I'm cool with other people taking care of me. The lazy poor. Number four, the innocently damaged poor. The innocently damaged poor. This is wartime problems. You have a direct sin. Some dictator says, I want more power. I want more territory, and he launches a war against a nation. He meant to sin and do something directly, but he never thought about the fact that as he's destroying their people and their economy, there's an unintended consequence that that 12-year-old girl no longer has any more ability to have food. That was an unintended consequence, but he did something directly wrong. Number five, the voluntary poor. The voluntary poor. You're thinking, who in the world would want to be poor voluntarily? I don't know, Jesus? Okay, here's the deal. Now, Jesus was operating under the poverty line, uh, according to the rest of society. And he had orchestrated it out so that he did things appropriately so that money and wealth would not be an issue for him. Is he said, I don't want to play that game. Y'all are interested in making money your God. I'm not doing that. I don't want to be a part of that. However, I will make sure everything is taken care of. Jesus had a hardcore work ethic, but he organized his life to be under the poverty line on purpose. All right. Last one, the poor in spirit, the poor in spirit. What does that mean? It means people who are poor because God wants them poor. Why does God want them poor? Because he's trying to get their attention. It is a direct relationship correction. Now here's the key. If God is trying to have someone be poor to get their attention and you keep trying to help that person out, God will block you and just go, no, 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 no. We are talking right now. I don't need you getting involved in this. Don't mess this thing up. We're still talking. All right. In other words, there's all kinds of suffering, but the concepts and why is super complicated. So be very careful of automatically assuming you know why someone is suffering or why you're suffering. Man, is it because I'm a bad person? It may have nothing to do with that. Or it may. It may be when you go through and you go, I don't understand why I keep getting fired. And everyone's like, because you're terrible at it. 
persecution. Like, no, no, bad workmanship. Yay. Okay. All right. In other words, we don't automatically know. We don't automatically assume. And really playing blame doesn't, doesn't matter. Is there something you can change? Great. If not, it's really in the Lord's hands. We, we just have to look at it that way. All right. So we are currently, as I laid out last week, we're currently in a trial period where God said, you guys want to do it your own way. We're going to let that rebellion play out. Let's see how it goes. Because in the end, you're going to find out that I'm the only source of good. Satan can't fix it. You guys can't fix it for yourself. It only can be me. And when we come to that place, I'm going to let it play out for a long time, but I'm going to cap it. And I'm going to say no more suffering. We're not doing that anymore. I'm going to close it all up and I'm going to wipe away every tear from everyone's eye. And I'm going to say, let's do it my way. So he's going to fix it right now. We're in what's called time, but at some point it will come to a close. Here's the other thing that I'll just finish that piece with. Any non-suffering is grace. We deserve suffering. We break stuff. We break each other. We're not very nice. We're kind of selfish. These types of things. We actually do a lot with our world. We actually deserve a lot of consequence that we're not even receiving. Any non-suffering you're going through right now is a gift from God. We should actually be going, wait, wait, wait. I have a family? Wow, thank you, Lord. I have a job? Wow, thank you, Lord. I have, right? We should be doing that much more than, why is there suffering? No, suffering's the norm. Non-suffering is the weird part. Clearly, God has a hedge of protection around us, and he's protecting us from a lot. We have so many blessings when we shouldn't have them at all. But God loves us that much. All right, let's keep moving forward. Now, that's it on the whole why thing. You guys got it. Like I said, that doesn't make our tummies feel any better, <laughs> right? We're, we're still like, ah, that's not awesome. So let's just all make it worse, shall we? Let's go into the book of Job. Fantastic. Let's go into the book of Job. Turn with me to Job chapter 7, verse 3. Job chapter 7, verse 3. We're going to make this interactive. I'm going to have you raise your hands for a variety of different things. And unless it is horrifying for you to raise your hand, I'm going to ask that you would participate all the way in the back, right? So what's nice is that I can see almost all the way to the back. And some of you are sitting right under the canned light and you're being highlighted to me. So praise the Lord. I can see you all the way back there. Now, here's what I need you to do. When I ask you these questions, I need you to raise your hand if it's true, because other people need to know they're not alone. That's actually the only reason why I need you to interact with this. Okay. So we're going to make everything very personal as we walk through Job's story. I'll merely paraphrase last week, the week before we learned that God brought up Job. Satan said, let me add him. And God said, okay. And it says that he lost all of his wealth. He lost all of his ability to create wealth. And he lost all of his children. He lost everything. And then we find out that that was not the end of his suffering. Satan was going to go back for round two and cause a lot more damage. But let's make it personal. Here we go. So Job lost all of his wealth. He was uber wealthy and he lost it all. Real quick show of hands. How many of you have ever been through significant financial loss? Raise your hand. Okay, so a huge amount of you, yeah? You're not the only one. Good Christians go through financial loss. That's a real thing. 
Okay. Second one. How many of you have ever lost your home? Raise your hand. Okay. So another big portion of you that also happens. It's very scary because we use our home as our home base for everything that we do. We feel very displaced. All right. Third one. How many of you have ever lost a job? Raise your hand. Okay. Isn't that scary? right? Because where am I going to work next? Where am I going to pay my bills? Where am I going? What if no one wants me? All these types of things go through our minds. And now this one, how many of you have ever lost a cherished loved one? Raise your hand. Yeah. Yeah. That's massive amounts of us. Now I'm not going to pretend that loss is equal. The loss of a loved one and the loss of finances are not the same thing. I'm not going to pretend that we know different. Okay. But it is intriguing that Job went through all, I want you to think about your experience. Job went through all of those experiences in the same day. So he lost everything on the same day. Your family is wiped out. Your ability to fix your wealth is wiped out because your wealth is wiped out. Everything is taken from you. We don't deal with loss very well. We don't deal with all kinds of issues very well. We don't know what to do. We get very, very confused. I feel like when everything hit Job, it was almost like he couldn't catch his breath. Like he was like, I don't even know what to do now. Like, I I, I can't cry. It's too, it hit too fast. I I can't grieve. I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to freak out. Right? That is the depth of his loss. But that was just Satan getting started. You're going to see Satan's full vent onto one person when God removes the hedge. All right, so we pick it up in Job 7, verse 3. Job began to get afflicted personally. It was no longer loss on the outside. It was loss on the inside. Here we go. He said, I am allotted months of emptiness and nights of misery are apportioned to me. When I lie down, I say, when shall I arise? But the night is long and I am full of tossing till the dawn months of emptiness real quick show of hands how many of you have ever either been through chronic long-term pain or a long-term suffering situation raise your hand okay that happens to Christians Because here's why it's so weird to us. We have an assumption that in our world, bad things are going to happen, but we think they're going to happen in small doses. So what we do is kind of like when you jump into a pool and it's cold, you go and you hold your breath and you jump in and then you wait for your body to acclimate. You wait for everything to normalize. You're waiting to exhale. What if you can't? What if the pain doesn't go away? You know that when you break your arm, your arm is going to heal. But what if you have chronic back pain and every day is a series of narcotics from morning until night? And then you get up the next day and it's morning till night. And then you tag day to day to week to week to month to month to year to year. You can't exhale. We don't know how to deal with that. And we start to go a little crazy in our heads because the gnawing never stops. I just need you to know right now that there are people in this church going through that right now. 
And wow, we ought to have compassion. We ought to be interceding. We ought to be covering them because it's brutal. This is what he was going through. It says he had nights of misery. We know he had days of misery. That means it's around the clock. There's no break. It just keeps going. Then he said, the night is long and I'm full of tossing till the dawn. Sleeplessness, insomnia. Any of you ever had those problems? Raise your hand. Okay. Here's the challenge with that. There's a reason why depriving people of sleep is a torture technique. Yeah? Why? Because it begins to bend your reality. It begins to disconnect you from reality. The deprivation of sleep disrupts the very design of the body. Our bodies are designed on stress and rest concepts. Stress and rest concepts. Deet, 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 right? Isn't that what our heart rate does? Stress, rest. Stress, rest. But what if you can't rest? That all of a sudden our systems get thrown off and we don't quite know what to do. And it begins to make things very foggy and we start losing touch. That's what it does. He has that too. And then listen to this. Job 7.13, when I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint. In other words, I can't wait to go to sleep. When I finally get to sleep, verse 14, then you, God, scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that I would choose strangling and death rather than my bones. How many of you have ever wrestled with night terrors and nightmares? Raise your hand. Yeah. That happens to Christians. Uh, whether it's spiritual warfare or it's just a natural body thing, we, su- we, we have to suffer through both. Uh, and just so you know, that doesn't make you a bad Christian. Good Christians go through stuff like that. We do. And here's the problem. When you finally get to sleep and then all of a sudden your nighttime is haunted by problems. This is what Job's going through. Okay, let's keep moving forward. We pick it up in Job 16, 7. Job 16, 7. Job 16, 7. Surely now God has worn me out. He has made desolate all my company. Verse 10. Men have gaped at me with their mouth. They have struck me insolently on the cheek. They mass themselves together against me. Verse 15. I have sewed sackcloth upon my skin and have laid my strength in the dust. My face is red with weeping and my eyelids is on my eyelids is deep darkness. Although there's no violence in my hands and my prayer is pure. Verse 20. My friends scorn me. My eyes pour out tears to God that he would argue the case of a man with God as a son of man does with his neighbor. For when a few years have come, I shall go the way from which I shall not return. Chapter 17, verse one. My spirit is broken. My days are extinct. The graveyard is ready for me. Surely there are mockers about me and my eye dwells on their provocation. Verse six. God has made me a byword of the peoples. I'm the one before whom men spit. My eye has grown dim from vexation and all my members are like a shadow. Verse 13, I hope for Sheol as my house. Isolation. No friends. No company for the misery. Job was all alone. How many of you have ever gone through a trial in your life that isolated you from everyone else? Raise your hand. Isn't that a terrible place to be? 
it almost seems like if we could talk it out with someone, it almost feels like if we could just vent to somebody, if we could use them as a sounding board, that somehow, some way, it doesn't fix it, but it helps. But what if you're all alone? What if no one wants to be near you? What if you are abandoned by everybody else? What if people even start blaming you? He said, my friends scorn me. They laugh at me. I'm a byword to them. There's mockery and blame. Why? Because they believe that if anything went bad like this in your life, it was your fault. And so all of his friends said, I don't know what's wrong with you, but you must be a terrible person. And they would ridicule them. How many of you have ever gone through a trial in your life that was not your fault, but a whole bunch of people blamed you as if it was? Raise your hand. That is horrible. Because you're crying out all the time, injustice. I didn't do this. I I didn't cause this. Well, yeah, surely you did. And nobody's even talking to you about it anymore. They're all just talking behind your back and they're trying to say, this must have been their problem and all that. Well, if you wouldn't have been doing this, if you wouldn't have been doing it, and everybody finds every reason to blame you as if your suffering wasn't enough. Everybody's making it worse. You know what I'm talking about? This was happening to Job too. He said, in a few years, I'm going where I'm not coming back from. What do you think that means? He said, I'm going to die from this. My spirit is broken. My days are extinct. The graveyard's ready for me. My days are past. My plans are broken off. The desires of my heart are gone. Job felt it was a death sentence. Now it wasn't, but he felt like it was. How many of you have ever either been told by a doctor that something is terminal or internally you believed that you were never going to get out of it and it was going to kill you. Raise your hand. Yeah, there's a lot of us. Right? Here's the deal. In modern day medicine, there's an awful lot of stuff we can do about cancer. But if the doctor says to you that you have cancer, it's almost impossible not to have your mind run there. Oh, it's a death sentence. Why? Because we know we're frail. We know we can't fix everything. We know we we can't rebound from everything. And when someone says that about us, it's like our hope goes out like air out of a tire. That's where Job was. The light at the end of the tunnel shut off. And there was just darkness. Let's pick it up in chapter 19, verse 7. Chapter 19, verse 7. Behold, I cry out violence, but I'm not answered. I call for help, but there is no justice. God has walled up my way, so I cannot pass. He has set darkness upon my paths. He has stripped me from my glory. He's taken the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side, and I'm gone. And my hope, he has pulled up like a tree. How many of you have ever cried out to God over and over and over and heard nothing but silence from heaven? Yeah. Do you know that happens to Christians? Do you know that we all, to some degree, go through that all the time? You're not the only one that God would go silent on. Now, we assume we know what a silence means. I'm going to tell you we don't. But how many times have we cried out for something that we feel is so justified and so right and good, and there was no answer? That happens. Doesn't make you a bad Christian. Just makes you human. Okay? 
he said, I'm wasting away. All right, so let's pick it up. Uh, last one on this. Job 3, verse 1. Job 3, verse 1. Obviously, these are all progressively getting worse, right? Job chapter 3, verse 1. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day he was born. Job said, let the day perish on which I was born and the night that said a man is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. Verse 10, because it did not shut the doors of my mother's womb or hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth, come out from the womb and expire? Job 10, he said, why did you bring me out of the womb? Would that I had died before any eye had seen me and were as though I had not been carried from the womb to the grave. Job 6, oh, that I might have my request and God would fulfill my hope that it would please God to crush me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. Job wanted to die. You might be in the middle of it and it's too sensitive to answer now. But if you can... How many of you have ever been to that place where you don't want to go on anymore? Yeah, there's a lot of us. We're all over the place. Do you know that happens to Christians too? Because you think if I truly was a Christian, I wouldn't feel that way. Sometimes you feel that way because your chemicals are so out of balance, you don't have any help. Your mind will just go there. Doesn't mean that you don't love God. It means that you don't know how to handle life. I understand that. For those of us in this room, we have decided, I do not want to take my life. I do not believe that is appropriate and right. I believe that is in God's hands alone. But then you start wishing God would take you. God, how about you take care of it for me? I don't want to be here anymore. All right. Are you seeing the depth of Job's suffering? Because everything that we just talked about he's walking through at the same time everything's gone everything's bad everything's dark despair is everywhere he's got no answers and he's saying i'm a good guy and it's still going on wow and he still chooses god I'm going to continue to say throughout this series that I have two life verses. My first life verse is the one that you've probably heard me say a lot, and that is, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. That is my first life verse. The second life verse is actually in Job. Though God would slay me, yet will I trust in him. Though God would slay me, yet will I trust in him. Why is that a life verse? Because I feel that if I can say that honestly, I truly want God for God and not for what he does for me. Even if you feel like God's at you, he's after you, he's actively causing problems in your life. If you still say, I don't care, you're my only one, you're my only shot, you're my only hope, that is Christianity to me. That is my life verse. Do you understand that in this, whatever you're going through is probably represented in Job, right? And so he's going through all this at the same time, but he keeps saying, God, help me. God, be with me. 
God, why are you not answering? God, but he keeps going to God. That's the power of Job. And glory rises up to the heavens. And Satan is embarrassed and put down. Because Satan thought if he could go full on after him, he'd get his loyalty. And Job gave him nothing but frustration. Because he chose God. Amen? All right. Anybody bummed out and I want to turn to the page? Yeah, praise the Lord. All right, cool. That's awesome. How about we change it all up, right? So now what I want you to do is I want you to get ready to take notes. I'm going to give you 10 things that I do not believe Job knew, but we know. And because we know it, it makes all the difference in the world. As a matter of fact, because of these truths, we will never, we should never have to suffer to the depths of what Job goes through. Yes, we may have the same circumstances, but we do not have the same mindset. These are life-changing, and we're going to start praising God for the help that he's brought us. We're going to go through 10 of them. You ready? Here we go. Number one, we know God loves us. We know God loves us. Job didn't know that. He is the most ancient of all the books. That means he's writing his story and examining his story before Moses shows up. Why is that important? Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Job doesn't have a Bible. He's got nothing. There's no explanation. There's no talk about relationship with God. He thought things were cool between him and God. He had a relationship. He was talking with God and God was talking to him. And then one day, everything changed with no explanation. He must have thought, well, I guess I got God wrong. I guess God doesn't love me anymore. We must never believe that. Why? The cross told us different. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe in him will never die, but have eternal life. The cross says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. It says that he demonstrated that his love that you have to understand God can't do any more to pour out his love upon his people. He can't tell you any stronger how much he loves you and how intensely he pursues you. We must never ask, does God love me? He's already answered that question. Once and for all, he's answered that question. So whatever your suffering means, it cannot mean God doesn't love you. It can't mean that. But you see, Job didn't know that. Job never what? He never understood Psalms. He never got to read that God is a God of comfort. He never read Psalm 147.3, God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He never read Psalm 34.18, the Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. He never got to read about Jesus who comes up to a Roman centurion who says, my servant is suffering at home terribly. And Jesus said, I'll come right now. He never got to read about the man who had a demon-possessed child. And Jesus said, well, why isn't it fixed? He said, your disciples couldn't do anything. Jesus said, I will right now. He never read the story where Jesus is walking through a town and out of compassion alone saw a widow carrying her one and only son in a funeral procession. And she was all alone. And Jesus said, not on my watch had him put down the funeral bed 
And he raised that child to life for mama. Why? Because he loved her. Job didn't read any of that stuff, but we have. No matter what your suffering means, it cannot mean that God doesn't love you. He's already said he does. And that's a fact. Number two, you ready? We know of a suffering God. We know of a suffering God. Job didn't know that. Job didn't know that the perfect and sinless Lamb of God would come from heaven down into here. That he would be a man of many sorrows. That he was the one that would walk and be, what, betrayed by his best friends. That he would be the one that would be tempted by the devil. Tempted in every way as we are. That he would be a man who was spit upon, beaten, crucified. Job didn't know that. We know a God who has suffered. So whatever our suffering means, we cannot say, God, you don't understand. He does understand. He walked it. He did it for you and I. Incredible. Number three, we know Christians never die. Job didn't know that. As a matter of fact, in his, in his book, he said, if a man dies, will he live again? He's got no idea. He's hoping, but he doesn't know. We know. We know for sure Christians never Die, 1 Corinthians 15, 54. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus coming to raise up Lazarus as proof that he can bring up anybody he wants to bring up says to Lazarus's sister Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He said. And Martha said, yes, I do. Christians never die. Jesus transported and transformed the portal of death into glory to glory. He now made it a passageway. It is now no longer the scary place because it means you're away from God. Now you get to be closer to God. In other words, he shifted everything because Christians never die. If you're a Christian today, you will never, ever for eternity die. That has been assured by Jesus Christ. Powerful. All right, number four. We know grieving is normal. We know grieving is normal. We have the Bible to talk about it. We have psychology to talk about it. Job didn't know anything. He didn't know about the five stages of grief. He didn't know that you're allowed to fall apart. He didn't know that good Christians cry a lot. He didn't know any of this stuff, right? We know it. And let me tell you this. Grieving is not only normal, it's necessary. Grieving is right. This whole, well, if I was a better Christian, I know they're going to heaven. I shouldn't cry about it. Paul said, I'm so glad my buddy Epaphroditus didn't die. God spared me sorrow upon sorrow. I think Paul's a pretty good Christian. And what would have happened if his buddy died? Sorrow upon sorrow. Why? Because we don't know how to deal with death because it's abnormal. We don't know how to deal with loss. We don't know how to deal with disconnection. We don't know how to deal with any of this stuff. So we freak out. Your body's going to freak out even if you try to make your mind not freak out. When you have significant loss, your body goes on autopilot. It does not care what you want to do. You're going to find yourself in Walmart walking around in the same aisle for three hours. 
and you're going to leave with nothing in your basket. And there's going to be some days, I'm going to tell you this right now. I've had somebody say in the past, man, pastors need to teach people how to suffer better. Okay, I'm going to talk to you right now. You guys, your body's trying to deal with it. Some days you're going to feel nothing. And that's normal. Doesn't mean you didn't love them. Doesn't mean anything. It means that your body finally maxed out and it's recharging. That's all it means. You're allowed to grieve. You have to grieve. The Bible says that we grieve, but we, gr- we don't grieve like those who have no hope. No, 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 no. We grieve with hope. We know that there will be an end to that sorrow. We know that ultimately, if our loved one is with Jesus, they're the ones doing awesome. We're the ones that should be pitied, right? I mean, I get it. All of this is normal. We know that the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians, the dead in Christ will raise before us. In other words, they're doing awesome. Okay, they're doing great. Great Christians grieve. Number five, ready? We know more of the why. We know more of the why. Job knew none of the why. He didn't know it in his story. He didn't know it as a grand scheme. He didn't know anything. We know more of the why. We know stuff about sin and consequence. We know about spiritual warfare. We know about how things go. We also know that there's no such thing as the question, Why do innocent people suffer? That's not a real thing. Why? There are no innocent people. The only innocent one that ever walked this planet was Jesus, and he did suffer. So that's not a real thing. You go, hold on, careful with the babies. Babies are born broken. Babies didn't confirm it. Babies didn't do anything wrong. What I'm saying is the sin of other people screwed up their lives. That's what I'm saying. But because of that, they got inherited brokenness. There are no innocent people. That's why I said every non-suffering is actually grace. God's being super nice to us. Number six, ready? We know the end of the story. Job didn't know the end of the story. We know the end of his story. Have you read it? Job 42, 10, and the Lord restored the fortunes of Job. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. This is key. Verse 11. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and they comforted him for all the evil the Lord had brought upon him. Verse 12. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. He ended up getting his wealth back. He ended up having more children. Verse 16. And after this, meaning after this story, Job lived another 140 years. And saw his sons and his sons' sons for generations. And Job died an old man full of days. He didn't know the end of his story. We know the end of his story. And you know what? We know the end of our story. It's already been written. Started in a garden, ends in a garden. Revelation's already been written. We know we always win. We know Jesus always wins. We know that he's king. We know that he's on the throne. We know that we're going to be all right. We know where it goes. We don't ever have to worry about that. Ready? Number seven. We know that healing is real. We know that healing is real. Job didn't know that. We know that healing is real. James 5.13, is any among you suffering? Let him pray. What's the point? Because if you pray, God's listening, and sometimes he's going to come in and change things around. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Healing is 
real. We know that. Our whole church is full of testimonies of healing. Radical healing. Just after last service, I had a man who didn't believe in healing. And then two years ago at our worship prayer and healing night, God healed him. He now believes in healing. (laughs) Healing is real. What it means is at any moment, God, because he's sovereign and in control, he is the master of death. He is the master of disease. He is the master of the brokenhearted. That God at any moment can make your suffering stop if he wants to. And I'm going to tell you, because he's a good God, here's what we can be assured of. The moment your suffering is no longer good for his glory or your good, it's gone. You tracking with me? That's what we know. So when you call out to God at any moment, your suffering can cease. Now, he may say it's necessary for you to walk through it, not get out of it. That's also something God does. But even then, he'll give you the strength and the grace to move through it. So my point is... God is good, but healing is real. And that's why we pray for the healing of one another. Because at any moment, God can change the story. Number eight, we know that God redeems everything for his kids. We know that God redeems everything for his kids. What does that mean? It means there's an awful lot of garbage in your life. And what people did to you is not all right. God doesn't call it all right. Your pastor doesn't call it all right. You know it wasn't right. It was wrong. But Jesus won't leave it there. Jesus will redeem it and make you stronger and embarrass the enemy. How dare he touch one of his children? Not only will he breathe life into you and make you stronger, he'll even use your story to start shielding and protecting other people. Because that's how Jesus operates. Anybody encouraged yet? All right, five of you are. Romans 8.28 says, We know all things work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Do you realize, by the way, that the only reason the book of Galatians exists is because Paul planted a church there? Let me share with you what Galatians 4.12 says. The reason I preached the gospel to you was because of a bodily ailment. They would have never got saved if Paul wasn't messed up. God never took away his bodily ailment, but that's a whole reason why he planted that church. They all came in and they're like, oh man, I got to take care of you. And he's like, hey, do you know Jesus? And all of a sudden the whole church was planted and the whole movement was started. That's how Jesus operates. Number nine, we know we're never alone. Job didn't know that. Job thought that God took the day off and disappeared. We know that's never true. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit. You can call him the helper. You can call him comforter. You can call him advocate. You can call him whatever you want, but he's always with you. How do we know that? Jesus said in Hebrews 13, 5, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Matthew 28, 20, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Christians, you will never, ever be alone again. Whatever your suffering means, it can't mean that you're alone not from God. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. That's impossible. Last one. We know heaven is better. We know that heaven is better. Job didn't know that. He thought of Sheol as a scary place. He thought after I die, at least the only thing I know is that I rest. I don't know anything awesome about it. We do. 
We know that heaven is better. First Corinthians 2, 9, no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. We never have to suffer as bad as Job did. We may have the same circumstance, but we do not have the same mindset. All that Job wondered, we know. And that brings us peace. Can I have the prayer team come on up here? I've also asked Jake to come on out here and play a little bit. I need to minimize distractions. I need an atmosphere of praise and worship because we're going to pray over one another. I'm going to pray over you. You're going to pray over each other. And here's how it's going to go. As soon as I get my, my prayer team up here and they're going to be a part of it and then they're going to come back up and be up here at the end of the service. So when I dismiss, they'll come back up and you'll want more prayer and they're all going to be here for you, okay? But here's how it's going to go. If you are currently in suffering right now, if you're in the middle of that trial, I want you to stand to your feet and stay standing. Stand up. Who's suffering right now? Yep. Yep. Who else? Yeah. Okay. Is that it? Is that my sufferers? If you're suffering, I want you to stand. All right. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for you. I want everyone around someone standing to go lay your hands upon them. We are going to pray as a body. Everyone get up and move around. Go make sure everyone standing has someone to be near them. This is a time for your family to gather around you. God has never left you alone. It is our day to gather around you so you won't be alone from us. I'm going to pray. And every time I say something in my prayer that you as a family agree with, I want you to say in your heart, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Some of you are even able to say it out loud. That's cool too. Right? Whatever I'm going to say, if you agree, I want you to pray kingdom blessings right on that person. All right? We're going to go ahead and pray together. Here we go. Holy Spirit, we are in a faith-filled atmosphere where you have been praised and glorified. You have given us stuff to endure suffering. But there are many of us in this room today that I do not believe their suffering is doing any more good for your glory or for their good. You have told us that you will move on our behalf. Therefore, we're saying for all those that you say no more suffering, may it cease instantly in Jesus' name. God, for all of us that are suffering emotionally, Lord, our hearts are a wreck. We have been lonely and scared and fearful. We have all kinds of challenges going on. Our hearts are pounding out of our chest because we're so afraid. Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, would you bring your peace upon us? Would you begin to move in our lives? Would you bring about breakthrough and transformation? Would you increase your presence right here in our midst? God, for those of us that are wrestling mentally with OCD and anxiety and depression and psychotic thoughts and behaviors, for those of us that are wrestling with suicidal thoughts, for those of us that are schizophrenic, God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus 
that you have given us a sound mind. And I speak on authority of the kingdom of God. Minds be still in Jesus' name. Enemy attacks cease in Jesus' name. No more war, no more warfare today. God, help us to go dark and silent instantaneously from the enemy's sonar. And right now, whisper to our minds, peace, healing, health, and wholeness. God, for those of us that are suffering physically, God, we're asking for your healing to be released. Lord, for those of us that are wrestling with migraines and headaches, those of us that something's wrong with our brain and our chemical production, we pray in the name of Jesus it would be healed. God, for those of us that have back problems and shoulder problems all the way down, Lord, if our suffering time is over, proclaim us free, clean, and healed. Lord, problems in our wrists and hands and arms be healed in Jesus' name. Lord, those of us that of our legs and our hips in Jesus' name be healed. Those of us, God, that our internal digestive system is just wrecked. God, our gut floor is busted and we don't function right. I pray in the name of Jesus. Rehealing, relining, soothing, adjustment, perfection in the name of Jesus. God, for those of us that are struggling relationally, where we have so much anger and hurt and resentment that it's actually affecting us, God, help us release. Help us to knit back together from our brokenness in Jesus' name. Help us to move on. We can't stay there forever. We've got to go. And if it's not glorifying to you, if it's not good for us, Jesus, give us freedom. So Lord, we beg of you that today would be the day of salvation. God, there are some of us that we've been away from you our whole lives. And right now is the time. Rescue us from our sin. We're way out of line. We have chosen ourselves over you our entire lives and we're done with it. We own it. We, we admit it. We want rescue. So Holy Spirit, take us from the kingdom of darkness and put us in the kingdom of light. Wash us with your grace and your forgiveness and wash away every stain and embarrass the enemy that he would ever lure us away God today is the day of the end of suffering for so many of us God for those that must continue would you ratchet up your grace ratchet up your strength ratchet up your power for us to endure your word says that we can stand up under anything with your power that nothing is impossible with you so Holy Spirit, whisper the breath of God over us and bring your healing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The prayer team will be up here. Have a wonderful weekend.